whether it be a multifamily, single family, farmland, any commercial piece of property, the higher the cap rate, the larger the risk. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average. They'll uh, save you on your health care plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate, and they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, So we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save. Um, Have a personal concierge service help you along the way and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this show is all about cutting out that fluffy stuff in real estate investing and getting straight to the real estate investing advice insights that move your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki with Rich Dad Poor Dad, Jay Papazon, the co-author of many best-selling books that he's done with uh, Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams Group. And with us today... I'm pleased to say we've got an expert appraiser who's been in the business over 16 years, Phil Crawford. How you doing, Phil? Great, Joe. Glad to be on your show. How are you? Doing very well, my friend. And thanks a lot for joining us. Phil is the host also of a radio show, very popular radio show, Voice of Appraisal. And he's based in Cincinnati. And, and check out his podcast, too. You can do that by Googling his name, Phil Crawford, Voice of Appraisal, or just go to his website, voiceofappraisal.com. He's also an adjunct professor at Cincinnati State. He's been doing that for six years. And just just a, a really just informative 
guy when it comes to appraisals and where the industry's headed. And he's also a real estate investor himself. So we've got a lot of things to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive right in. First, before we do, Phil, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Well, I, like you said, I'm a real estate appraiser. I'm a certified general real estate appraiser, Joe, which makes it uh, means I'm able to appraise both commercial and residential properties. Uh, Dad was an appraiser. Grandpa was an appraiser, so it's in my DNA. And uh, I've been in the radio business for about uh, 10 years as well. So you put them all together, and you've got a real estate appraiser that has a podcast. And that's how that works, and we work a lot around the uh, Cincinnati marketing area as well. What brought you into podcasting? And then let's talk about the uh, the appraisal world. Well, the podcast I brought was brought into that basically in 2013. Podcasting became very popular uh, at that time and really made its mark by the move in the iTunes uh, situation where they started to have the uh, the podcast um, app available for people. And I think that it's changing the way that radio is done today. You can reach more and more people on a nationwide, if not worldwide, level with uh, podcasting than you would with traditional radio. So that's why we came uh, into the podcasting realm. And the reason why I took it for, to the appraisal side was not only am I an expert in the appraisal business, but also I think the appraisal industry is really misunderstood with a lot of people throughout the country. And I think it was very important for us to, to bring the real estate profession into the, to the light of the American population and say, look, this is what we do. This is what we can benefit. This is how we can benefit you uh, as investors, as homeowners. And we are not some mystery profession of a bunch of weird people that come out to your house, walk in your house for about you know 10 to 20 minutes and leave, and all of a sudden come up with some magical mystery number. Um, there is a, a good amount of science. There's a good amount of art and research that go behind our work. And I think it's important that the American people realize that. When you talk about the appraisal industry being largely misunderstood, you mentioned some of those points just a second ago. What would you say is the number one thing that is a misconception about the appraisal industry? When an appraiser goes out to your house to do an appraisal, I think people don't understand that that observation, by the way, we, we don't call them inspections anymore. We're now starting to call them observations. We can only you know, comment on what we see. That observation really only is about 10% of the work that goes into coming up with an opinion of value. And remember, we don't give value. That's the one thing that you have to understand. Appraisers do not give value. They just report what the market says the value is. So there's a lot of work that goes in, quote-unquote, behind the scenes, if you would, that you don't see on a regular basis. And it's that behind-the-scenes work is where the real value of the real estate appraiser comes in. A lot of people um, have appraisals done when they refinance a home or when they purchase a home, things like this, but they don't understand the value that an appraiser has if they are in the position to perhaps go into an investment, to buy an investment piece of property or to you know, buy a larger you know, uh, 12 unit or 15 unit. Any of these things an appraiser can be utilized one-on-one -on -one and can offer you a good benefit when it comes to their information. You mentioned 10% of the work is done through that observation. We don't call it an inspection. We call it an observation. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. is, that's on the, as you said, the house. What about a apartment community? As far as apartment communities, uh, the same way holds true, especially it's, it's all in the numbers, Joe. That's the big thing about it. So, for instance, if we're going to do an observation on a large apartment complex, let's say you know, 15 units or even larger than that, 
then, by the way, those inspections, they, they take all day, don't they, to work with uh, tenants and things like that to get in every single unit. It, it does become uh, quite a task. But uh, that being said, yes, the observation does take place, but then it all comes down to the numbers. The numbers don't lie when it comes to the value, especially when it's in capitalization rates or gross rent multipliers, things like this. The numbers that we break down as real estate appraisers come from markets, and that is, in fact, uh, very valuable to people out there today. One of the biggest mistakes that I think investors make when it comes to buying investment property, especially the first-time investor on a piece of real estate, is that they don't they have their numbers they think their numbers work but they're not mixing or not lining up with the numbers that the market is saying and i think that's the most important thing that the appraiser brings to those transactions because the appraiser is third party he, the appraiser is unbiased and has no emotion in the particular transaction so because they are third party they are unbiased and there is no emotion they're just going to go in and start to break down the numbers and say, okay, now is this investment looking like it should? Does the cap rate match up with what the cap rate is being offered at? And, uh, you know, other things such as that. Vacancy rates, expenses, all of these things are taken into consideration. So it's very important to have the appraiser utilize all the data available from the marketplace and give it to the investor. You mentioned going in all the units for a, an apartment community, say that's 150 units. Would the appraiser go into a certain percentage of the units? Yes, and a lot of times the appraiser will only go into a certain percentage, and the appraisers are allowed to make what are called hypothetical conditions or extraordinary assumptions. So in other words, if we walk into, say, there's 100 units, and we walk into, say, 25 of them, we observe those, then we can make an extraordinary assumption or the hypothetical condition that all of the rest of the units are, in fact, the same condition. It depends a lot of times as to what lender or what financing that investor has lined up. There have, we have worked with lenders who have said to us, smaller lenders, who have said, look, we, we know it's very difficult to get into every single um, unit, but we want you to do it. And that, that's the guidelines that we have. Joe, can I bring up something really quick when it comes to how the lender relationship is with appraisers? Yes, yeah, sure. Let me talk a little bit about that. When you as an individual go to a bank, to take out a mortgage or take out a loan and to get your financing set for your project. The bank may hire an appraiser. Remember that at that time, the appraiser's client is the bank and the bank only. They're also known as intended users. So uh, whoever is going to use the appraisal, in this case, the bank will use it to make a decision if the collateral is there to make your loan. That becomes the actual client of the appraiser. That's who we speak to about all of the intricacies of the assignment. So when we do that, we create what is called a scope of work. The scope of work is with an agreement between the lender and the appraiser. And sometimes the scope of work, the lender will say, you know what, it's okay, go into 25% of the units. And other times the lender will say, you know what, under this scope of work, we want you going into 100% of the units. And those observations could not just could take more than just one day. And that happens sometimes as well. If you're selling a property yes. and you're working with the buyer and the buyer knows who his or her lender will be and you're maybe a month away from actually having the appraisal, okay. would it be beneficial to identify what that scope of work has been in the past from that lender and help position you know, your property as much as, as well as possible prior to that happening? 
as a real estate investor, not only is it important, it's, I think it's critical. Because what it does is it sets you up to make sure that your financing is in place at the proper time so when you can acquire the property. Financing is so important. So if you have a good relationship with a lender, with somebody that you've worked with in the past, that you know how what their scope of work will be with the appraiser. And by the way, it's okay to ask that question of your lender. Okay, it's okay to say, look, when you send the appraiser out, what is going to be your scope of work with the appraiser? Are you going to require all of the units to be looked at or not, all the, uh, the units to be observed? If I was a buyer, I would actually want to have the appraiser in every single unit because I want them to be, be taking a look at every one of them before I purchased it. But at the same time, it's very important, yes, and it's critical, and it does cut back on the time it may take to get the appraisal in for the lender so you can obtain your financing a heck of a lot quicker. That right there is a is an insight that can help best ever listeners save or make thousands, hundreds of thousands, and in some cases uh, millions of dollars. So because because it, it's all about helping you know helping position your your property in the best night, not influencing it unduly, but just positioning it, knowing what you're going to get into. It's different. If for instance a single family house, let's say it's your very first investment, and you're buying a single family house and the appraiser comes into it, that's one thing. But, yeah, if you're on one of these larger appraisal or larger apartment complexes, which I do appraise, yeah, it's going to be – you'd be very proactive when it comes to the amount of time it takes for the appraiser to do the inspection and make sure you have all of the information available for the appraiser. Get the data together, and I will tell you, as a real estate appraiser, if the data matches with the marketplace. So many times, I, what's the very first thing? Okay, let's say, for instance, you call me up, Joe, and you say, will you appraise a 15-unit or a 20-unit? The very first thing I'm going to ask you is give me all of your numbers. Give me your books. And if they're not your books, if they're the books of the previous owner or the owner that's selling it to you, I want to see their books because I want to make sure that that net operating income that they are selling you on is actually correct and is in conjunction with what the market says. So many times I have seen net operating incomes, vacancy rates, misrepresented in books that are given to buyers, and they go into a position to make bad decisions as real estate investors. The appraiser being a third party, unbiased opinion, can come in there and say, you know what, they have down this for an expense, I disagree with it, I think the market is going to be having this as the expense. Or they have this as a vacancy rate, but I disagree with it. These vacancy rates are not accurate. We need to take this vacancy rate. There's a huge difference between a vacancy rate of 5% in the marketing area and a vacancy rate of 10%. And that is going to cut into your bottom line and ultimately affect the capitalization rate on the property. And if the cap rate is affected, then the value is going to be affected too. I have a lot of individuals that come to me as a real estate appraiser who are investors, and especially the younger investors out there today. They will come to me and say, Phil, this is what I want to do. Will it make me money? Is my thought process in the right place? And when you bring on a good, knowledgeable appraiser in that particular field, with that particular type of property, a good appraiser will be able to tell you directly, yes, your numbers are good. This is what you're looking at in the course of the next five years. Maybe you want to hold it for five years or ten years. Or no, these numbers are not accurate. You are going to lose your rear end or you're going to have more and more expenses than what you imagine on it. So that's why it is very, it's very important to find a good relationship with an appraiser, not just a bank appraiser, but also an appraiser that you can call you know, a consultant in a way 
to help you get through some of these big decisions when it comes to your investing. What's the typical fee structure for that type of consultation where you're, you're looking to validate or identify holes in, in your numbers that you're running based on current market conditions? Of course. In most cases, if you're, let's just take the whole, uh, let's take, take the whole range here. If you've got a single family house, you're talking about a couple of hundred dollars, okay? If you go into a, uh, a larger complex along those lines, you're talking anywhere between $600, $1,000, maybe a little bit more. But what is $600 or $1,000 and maybe in some cases $2,000 when you're making a $21 million investment? That's the big question that you need to ask yourself. And I think that, you know, a lot of the investors that I work with do have a lot of money that they're willing to put down, but they want to get my opinion about it first. And that's okay. And I think that uh, it's well worth the time. You want to go out and buy a nice car? Sometimes you may take it to a mechanic first to have the engine looked at. It's kind of the same philosophy and same principle. What's the output you mentioned from a high level, but tactically speaking, let's go with the larger apartment community. Someone gives you six hundred, seven hundred, a thousand, whatever it is, two thousand. What do you deliver to them? Well, what we do first of all is we deliver uh, the accurate what we consider to be market capitalization rate. That's everything. That has everything to do with it. I know a lot of investors will create their own cap rate, or in some cases, investors will. If you're, for instance, if you're selling a property, you're going to sell a certain capitalization rate. But the most important thing is we develop and design that particular capitalization rate based upon market data. And that cap rate comes in all different forms. It's all within the numbers inside of the, the breakdown. Your net operating income, your gross potential income, your effective gross income, all of these things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is from the capitalization rate will come depending on what you work out with your appraiser, and there will be a different cost to it, a valuation will occur from it. So you will most likely, in that case, come up with two different values. The first one will be a value based upon a sales comparison approach, similar comparables of sold in the area. Sometimes those are hard to find, aren't they? So you have to go back a couple of years, making appropriate time adjustments if need be. And the other one ultimately is the income approach to the appraisal process. And evaluation could, you know, an opinion of value could be derived from the market, and uh, that would be coming from the income approach. That one, I think, it bears more weight in income-producing property than the sales comparison approach, probably about 50-50 in most cases. Because you're buying Remember one thing. This is one thing that you have to understand about investment property more than anything else is that there are two types of property. One is speculative pieces of real estate, and one are investment pieces of real estate. A speculative piece of real estate, you only make money when you ring the register. That's it. It's just like a stock that doesn't pay a dividend. You only make money when it goes up and you ring the register. An investment piece of property is something totally different. That is where you're hoping to make money in the future through the theory of anticipation. You're anticipating the value go up, but you also want to make money from the cash flow. That's similar to a stock and a stock dividend, okay? But the great thing I love about real estate is this, and this is what you're starting to see throughout the economic conditions of the 21st century in America today. We've got ultra, ultra, ultra low interest rates. If you've got money sitting on the sidelines, you're not going to make much money in the bank. Well, some of these investment, quote-unquote, stocks, what if they have a bad quarter? Or what if they have a bad two quarters? The stock price goes down. If the stock price goes down, most likely they're going to cut the dividend. As a real estate investor in, the, in real estate, even if your value goes down, most likely your rents will not because of the situation that we're in today with the economic conditions in the country. Homeownership is on all-time low. People want to rent property. 
So even if your value does tend to go to a down curve, you're still going to be able to have strong rents into the future. As an investor, now let's put on your investor hat. As an investor, knowing that you're an appraiser and you're investing in real estate, Mm -hmm. where could you mess up and lose money? Because you're clearly going to look into the numbers in detail in the market condition. So Mm -hmm. where would you make the mistake and lose money on something? Most of the times I see people make mistakes is when they start to, quote unquote, believe their own hype. And that's where they start to get very emotional about their investment purchases. They have in their mind a certain dream. I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to put this much capital into it, and it's going to give me this much out. When the appraiser comes in, it's the tough love situation. It says, no, the numbers don't work out. But some people still get emotionally involved and say, but I believe I can make the numbers better. Now, if you can, that's your luck, and that's, that's, see, that's the part of it. I don't like buying real estate based upon luck. I like buying real estate based upon numbers. So the biggest mistake investors can have is to not pay attention to the numbers and to kind of go off their own quote-unquote emotion, and that could lead to trouble in the very near future. I want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned as far as make sure you have all the information in place for an appraiser on an apartment community. And if, sure. the, if the data matches, you want to, you want to, you're verifying if the data matches up with the marketplace. And uh, one of the first things you do is you ask, you know, give me all your numbers. I want to see the books. And right. if the vacancy rate, let's say on the, the books, the vacancy rate is 5%, but in the marketplace, the vacancy rate is 10%. Which vacancy rate do you go with when you come up with the income approach or sales comp? Excellent, excellent question. This, a lot of this vacancy rate has to do, especially with the larger, the larger multi-units, okay? The, the, these vacancy rates probably have to do a lot with upgrades and condition because unlike single-family housing, multi-family units have to compete with additional multi-family units that are put up. Most of your multifamily renters don't stay for quite some time. They're very, it's a very transient uh, position in someone's life. So you may have a little bit more, quote-unquote, frictional vacancy than, uh, say, a single-family residence would. Single family, that's why I mostly have single-family residence, Joe, because that way I know I'm going to have tenants there for two to three years. You know, apartment complexes, maybe, you know, maybe a six-month lease or maybe a 12-month lease. So vacancy rates have a lot to do with two things. Number one the overall economic conditions in the area, but number two, what are the conditions? How are they competing with other property? And that is very important when we compare comparables to a subject property. So, for instance, let's say you buy a 1970s multifamily unit, and it hasn't really been upgraded that much, and your vacancy rate right now is at 10%. It's very important for the appraiser to find and analyze similar property with similar lack of upgrades. Then what we're able to do is, is look at the vacancy factor on some other multifamily properties, maybe ones that have been upgraded, and see that maybe the 5% vacancy rate comes from the more upgraded property rather than the less upgraded property. And then we're able to say, in that case, hey, look, if you're looking at putting a capital investment of $10,000 per unit into this project, then maybe that, that $10,000 uh, in capital investment is going to work well for you because it will reduce your vacancy rate. And if you reduce your vacancy rate, as you very well know, your net operating income increases, and then from that your capitalization rate will change. Also, something very important about capitalization rates when it comes to risk, and this is very important I want everybody to think about, the higher the capitalization rate, the higher the cap rate on any project, 
whether it be a multifamily, single-family, farmland, any commercial piece of property, the higher the cap rate, the larger the risk. The lower the capitalization rate is, the lower the risk. Just remember that. If I have got a piece of dirt that I go ahead and I, I rent out to a farmer, and the farmer puts his crops on there and he pays me rent to put his crops on there and grow them, that capitalization rate is about 1.5 to 2%. Is it a good, gigantic rate of return for me? No. But what's the risk level behind it? Very, very low. All it is is dirt. It's something that uh, your listeners should just remember. Agreed. Definitely need to write that down if you're taking notes at home, best ever listeners. The higher the cap rate, the larger the risk and vice versa. But on the right. previous point, I just want to close the loop on that just to make sure I'm crystal clear and use a diff- sure. use another example. So understand, I, I understand based on what you said on the vacancy rate, how it's uh, taking into two factors, one, the overall economic conditions, as well as how are they competing with other similar properties. And in, the, in the, your example, it was properties that same, similar age, similar type of upgrades or lack thereof. With another factor, any of the other expenses, like um, you know turnover, water, whatever, yeah. is it more of a... Because what this got me thinking is, is it more of what those two factors are, so the economic conditions and how how are similar properties doing compared to it, or is it more of how that particular property is performing? That's a great question, and and we do look at that, especially when it comes to property management, because that's property management can change a vacancy rate on a particular property very, very quickly. That is something that's kind of harder to look at inside of a marketplace, because we, and that's why I like looking at books, first and foremost, because I like to see where the maintenance issues come in and, and where they're being handled. If they are being handled by the current owner, what, would there be a difference if a, quote-unquote, professional property manager came in? And if a professional property manager did come in, would that decrease the vacancy rate and help it out a little bit? We, as real estate appraisers on the commercial side, a lot of that data is, in fact, word of mouth with other real estate appraisers. So to answer your question, yes, the way that particular property does perform could, in fact, you know, change its vacancy rate. The big question is, is how do you then prove that in the marketplace? Now, there have been times in my life, Joe, where I've had to, as an appraiser, take on an assignment and then go to other appraisers in my area and say, hey, do you have any data on this particular property, on this particular property? Because let's be quite honest here, this data is not openly available for everyone at every given time, like for, say, a uh, single-family residence is on a local MLS service. So I have to go to other professionals and say, you know what, if you've got that data, I would like to purchase it from you. Let's go ahead and then apply that to the current valuation assignment I'm doing and see if any of those other factors have anything to do with the vacancy rate at that time. So, yeah, yeah, all that stuff is considered, and they could be a big indicator as to what that project will do. Going back to the market, however, we have to make sure, as an appraiser, as an appraiser, we have to make sure that the market does back it up and there is proper evidence to do so. All right. I've got a bear your soul question, and I know you can handle it. Oh, no. Are you ready okay. for it? Here's the question. So the last four people that I've spoken to, and one of my deals is included, so I guess I spoke to myself. So the last four, four, four deals, um, one of my, well, yeah, mine was one of the four. Okay. We, uh, I'm talking apartment communities. Then this one I'm referring to is not in Cincinnati. Okay. They've all appraised magically for almost the exact amount that we purchased it for. Yeah. 
Is the purchase price a influencing factor in what the appraisal is? No. No, it's not. I'm going to bear my soul on this one, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to, tell, you, I'm going to tell you the trick of the trade. You want me hear it? Yep. Here's how it works. When the appraisal comes in and the appraisal assignment comes in, we look at the purchase price and we analyze the purchase price to find out how much the concession amounts are. What's going on inside of it? Are you buying a multifamily unit for $2 million and on top of that, in that $2 million, do you have personal property? Is there something in there that I need to see that's different than just the real estate, the sticks and the bricks, the dirt and the rights that it sits on? After I take a look at that purchase price, let's say it's $2 million, right? That $2 million and that purchase price and all those concessions, let's say it's nice arm's length transaction, it's put aside, Joe. It's put aside, and we, we set it there. I put it out of my mind, and then I go into the market to find out what the market says the value is. If they seem to match up at the very end of the day after the one analysis is done, then that's just fine. And in most cases, they will because what is the purchase price? The purchase price is the meaning of the minds. That spot where supply and demand come together, where one buyer is willing to give this much and one seller is willing to sell it for this much. That's the meaning of the mind. In most cases, if that meaning of the mind matches up with the market conditions, then yes, they will be right there with each other. But remember, there's been a lot of cases that that situation has not occurred, where the meaning of the mind. Now, it's a little bit different in commercial, Joe, because you have, and this is going to sound, I don't want to sound bad when I say this. But when a commercial investor goes into buying a piece of property, $2 million, $4 million project, they've done a substantial amount of research before they got there. This is a big investment, okay? A a single-family homeowner may not have done as much research to put an offer on a single-family home. There's a lot of emotion that's involved more in the single-family purchase than there is in the multifamily purchase. So where you see the appraiser opinion of value, which is market value, which is the most probable selling price, okay, which is the most probable selling price, that market value may not match the sales contract on the residential side for first-time home buyers or home buyers because there's an emotional level involved. But when it comes to, you know, investment buyers, yes, there's so much evidence, so much research that has been before performed even before the appraisal has been ordered, that in most cases they will match. Phil, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't lie to yourself when it comes to your numbers. Do not lie to yourself. Trust in the numbers that come from the market and do not believe your own hype. The times that I've seen people lose money is when they say, I think it'll work, I think it'll work, I think it'll work, and guess what? It doesn't work because you didn't trust the numbers. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Go for it. All right, first a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book besides the Bible, I'd say the 5,000 year leap. Read it, enjoy it, and you'll understand the value of property and the property rights that we have as the American people. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? The best ever personal growth experience, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, I'm a cancer survivor. So getting through that, I learned a lot from that. And uh, that was something that, uh, you know, really made me look at the world in a different way and uh, really has influenced my life from that point on. What's one thing that you learned from it specifically? 
Well, you have to, first of all, cherish each day that you've got. Don't be afraid, you know, and I, I do tend to, well, now you're getting all serious on me now, Joe. Wait, wait, you're getting all serious on me. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to look at things in a way where I cherish each day that I've got, and I try to live my life that way, and that's the most important thing that I've learned from it. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Well, actually, through the voice of appraisal, we did create uh, the Real Estate Appraisers Cancer Support Fund. A lot of real estate appraisers out there are uh, self-employed individuals, and sometimes when something unfortunate like this does occur, they are, you know, forced to work through going through, um, you know, cancer treatments and things like that. So what we did with the Voice of Appraisal uh, podcast is we created the uh, Real Estate Appraisers Cancer Support Fund, and that is there to help appraisers uh, financially get through these tough times of, uh, of their cancer treatments and things like that. Very, very excited about that, by the way. We just launched it within the last uh, month. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? The biggest mistake I've ever made as far as uh, real estate investing is concerned is not believing the numbers. I did that on one particular project, and I lost money on it. That's probably, again, it all comes down to numbers. I got too emotional about a project when I was younger. I was a younger investor, and uh, I did learn the hard way that you will lose money if you don't pay attention to numbers. And Phil, what's the best ever place for listeners to reach you? You can visit my website at www.voiceappraisal.com, www.voiceappraisal.com. Voice Appraisal Podcast is on iTunes, and my email is info at voiceappraisal.com. And how do uh, the best ever listeners learn more about the Real Estate Appraisers Cancer Support Fund? You can go to voiceappraisal.com. There is an icon there that with uh, two little chairs on a beach. You click onto that. If you'd like to donate, you can go ahead and go on to that particular uh, part there and you can donate to the Cancer Support Fund. Well, Phil, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners. And Thank you. You know, talking about this, I, I literally have, I'm scrolling down a page and a half of notes. So I'm going to summarize very quickly, though, some of the most salient points. Yeah. Some of the things that really stood out to me uh, was when you said observation is about 10% of the work and we're talking single family. 10% of the work whenever you are, we don't call it inspection or we meaning you. And so I won't either call it inspection, but rather <laughs> it's observation. And that's 10%. The other 90% is the market research and all the other primary and secondary research that you're doing. As far as the commercial properties go, my gosh, the two points that just uh, are groundbreaking. Um, one is if you have a good relationship with the lender, then ask them what the scope of work will be for the appraiser. That way you can um, give everybody heads up. Doesn't matter if you're buying or selling, you're just getting, you know, getting ahead of the game. And as you said, it's okay to ask for that. And so that's one thing that I've never heard of. Joe, it makes our job so much easier because then when I come into the transaction, Joe, I don't have to sit there and second guess and say, and ask for all this information. I've already got it. It just speeds along the process. And then the second thing is having an appraiser as a consultant and, um, you know, talking to him or her about this is what I want to do. Will it make me money? And this is my thought process. Does it make sense? And then they will come back in multifamily world. They will come back with a delivering an accurate market capitalization rate as well as a cap rate for what the uh, valuation 
is based on what the what the valuation is as far as the two two ways you value it sales comp and the income approach and you said the income approach is likely the more relevant one because at the end of the day we buy multifamily to make money so the income approach would make a lot of sense and uh, then the the question I've been wondering recently that you yeah. answered was, you know, how much does the purchase price influence the valuation? And you said it does not. And uh, but one thing that you mentioned is you want to see any outliers in that transaction yeah. that might be included in the purchase price because uh, that will have some influence in it. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. That's right, Joe. That's awesome. right. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for being on the show again and wonderful conversation. And I hope you have a best ever week. Well, thank you, sir. You have a good day. I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average. They'll uh, save you on your health care plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate. And they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, So we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save. Um, Have a personal concierge service help you along the way and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out.